I don't know how you go downhill from a pandemic, but we did. I mean, we had a global crisis already, right? The coronavirus, people on respirators dying, emotionally distraught, so many on the brink of economic disaster, people on the edge, you know, emotionally. And then everything blew up. The horrendous death of George Floyd ignited this raging forest fire of hostility and outcry that is still spreading across the globe as I'm recording this right now. Protesters are filing the streets, even in Bel Air, I hear, but all over the country and all over the world, crying for justice. And then those demonstrations turning sideways to violence in our cities burning. Everybody quick to say it's their fault. And the divide just seems to deepen and the fear grows and the gap of mistrust keeps widening. And you know what? It breaks God's heart. And it ought to break our hearts too. Because God has a dream. And folk, this is not it. God has a dream for, for, for people who take their cues from Jesus and his unique kind of different new way of being in the world, a way that he called the kingdom of God that didn't just resort to our own selfish demands, but people who would bring every thought captive to him and then live together with the love of Christ, so controlling our thoughts and our minds that we would shock the world with uncommon relationships where we could just be an example to a watching world who would literally pause from whatever they're doing, whether it's daily business or fighting, and look at us and say, wow, see how they love each other. That's what a Jesus-shaped community looks like. It's what we're called to be. And the reality is that that dream isn't always lived out. No, that's why a lot of particularly brown and black-skinned brothers and sisters and other minorities, especially right now, are experiencing some deep pain and feeling fear and a range of things, anger, vulnerability, defeated, disappointed, disgusted, and a lot of whites don't know what to do. They sometimes get defensive, they get angry, they get paralyzed in guilt or sorrow, and neither of those are part of God's dream. I I got two messages on my phone within like 10 minutes today. One was a, please pray for my son. He's a 20-something young black man here from Mountain. And she says, he's hurting so bad right now. You know, I think he's going to give up hope that there's any future with equality for him. And he's not alone. And the very next message was from another worried mom asking for prayer for her son, also a friend of mine, a 20-something kid from Mountain, a Jesus follower, because he's, he's brand new on the job as a law enforcement officer. And today is his first day on the job without his field training officer. And, and he, just, he just got into this because he thought it was a ministry, a way he could bring justice and be one of the good guys. And all, all I have to do is, is point out both of those. And everyone starts taking sides and yelling and fighting. And God had a dream for the way the world works. And that's not it. So don't you just feel like we need a word from God today? Wherever you are in all this, I know some of us are so worked up or beaten down and some probably could care less. But I'm glad we can come together like this to humble ourselves before God and to find some healing and to find some calm in the storm. And can I just ask you to let his spirit speak to your spirit in the next few minutes? Can we just step away from the news cycle and from Instagram and Facebook and Twitter feeds 
and even the conclusions we've already got in our own minds to humbly call out to the Lord and let ourselves be grounded in him, in his word, in his purposes, and in his peace. You know, I think of Philippians 4 in moments like these. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, let your mind be filled with whatever is true and whatever is noble, whatever is right and pure and gracious and lovely and admirable, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. He says, put it all into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Man, we need to do that together today. I was thinking this past week, I don't know if you saw the news that Elon Musk sent his, is it SpaceX mission? I think it's called into space. And I'm thinking, good grief, we're not ready to go anywhere else. We don't want people on the moon or another planet. We'll just mess it up. It was like MLK who said, we have flown in the air like birds and we have managed to swim in the sea like fishes, but we have yet to learn the simple act of walking the earth like brothers and sisters. God has a dream and this is not it. Racism of any kind breaks the heart of God because it means we've taken the great commandment and chucked it. You know, what what happened when they asked Jesus, uh, what's the most important thing in all of the Bible? If you had to boil it down, Jesus, and just say, what's the crucial core truth? What's the element at the center to really live before God? He said, "I, I got an answer for you. Love the Lord your God with everything you've got, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God. And then he added, he says, there's something else that's just as important. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Love people. And then he told that story about the man who was going down the road and got beat up and abused and thrown in the ditch and left for dead. And people who should have known better walked on by because they had some important religious stuff to do. But a Samaritan, someone who wasn't even like him, noticed and stopped and bound up his wounds and paid money to get him back on his feet. And Jesus says, see that guy? Be like that guy. Go and do likewise. Go and do that. Serve the world. Love God. Love people. And serve the world. This is the way of Jesus. And this is the dream of God. This is what it looks like when the kingdom come. It doesn't doesn't come by revolutions. It comes by resolutions of a human heart to follow Jesus and to prove that the way you love God you love people. And if ever there was a time to be true to our mission of making more and better disciples who take their cues from Jesus, if ever there was a time when we needed to build a Jesus-shaped community filled with people who are changed at a heart level, who love God truly and love people truly and serve the world, it's, it's now. So this isn't one of those sermons you can just listen to and go on your merry way. Jesus is calling people to be true disciples right now, to be converted for the first time, or maybe to commit to him afresh with a dedication to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself and to figure out what it means to put that together in a way that really serves the world. And and, and if I say, man, I love you, Lord, the Bible says I've got to love my neighbor to prove it. And what the world needs now is love, and they need the love of Jesus Christ. And may it begin with you. If you've decided to identify as a Christian, I'm just asking you a straight-up question right now. What are you doing to show the love of Christ in this current 
situation that we're all living through right now. Loving people, you know, sometimes means you got to stand with people, people who need a friend, people who need support, people who need care. And people of color right now need others to stand with them because they need people to say we're here and they need people who will say, especially in the church, what unites us in Christ is more important to me and stronger than all that would threaten to drive us apart. I'm your ally. I'm standing with you. Loving people means having compassion like Jesus did for anyone who's hurting and who feels marginalized, cast out. That's what Jesus did best, right? He, he went toward people who felt like they were kicked to the curb of society. And he says, I, I love you. And he plucked them out of the crowd and he had compassion. Compassion literally means, passio means to feel or suffer. And ka means with. It means literally to suffer with one another, to step out of my own comfort long enough to say, man, if it hurts you, I'm going to let it hurt me because I love you. That's why we keep talking about relationships around here, because relationships get us exposed to one another, and that, that, that can get at the, the root of ignorance, which is the root of the problem. Loving people means not just standing with people, it means standing for people sometimes, you know? To lend help, to, to stop being kind of passively indifferent to others who don't look like me. I think this is why listening is so important. I hope you heard the video podcast we put out on Facebook and YouTube called Six Feet Apart. We just listened to one another. You know what I heard? I heard my friend. A black brother say, he's on our staff. He's a professional gentleman who's a software developer and he leads an entire area of this church and he was vulnerable enough to say, you know what? I'm scared to take my own daughter for a walk in the stroller in my neighborhood because she's got lighter skin than I do. And if she started to cry or act up and I did what every parent would do, someone sees me and tries to call 911 because they're uncomfortable with that. I don't even want to think about what could happen and how horrible that could turn out. And he lives with that fear. Before you say anything else in response to that, when that man is my brother and he's given himself to this community, He's covering my back because I'm his boss. For me not to stand up for him right now is not right. You probably have someone like that in your life. And Jesus is saying, do you love your neighbor or not? Who's my neighbor? The answer is anyone is in a ditch. And you don't even have to ask, I wonder what he did to get in the ditch. Let's wait and see. You just stand with someone. You stand, sometimes you stand up with others and for others and use your voice and your influence. And sometimes it might mean an awkward conversation that someone you respect makes an, a racist comment and you just kindly but firmly reply, well, you know what you said isn't cool, man, about belittling anyone. I don't care what color you are. It's no longer enough for Christians to say, I'm not racist and therefore excuse ourselves from responsibility to really love one another and get outside of our little tribe. I don't care what color you are, this is true. It's time to show love by being anti-racist and being pro-God, pro-my brother and sister. James says, if you know the good to do and you don't do it, man, you're falling short and missing the mark. That's sin. So we got to recognize that racism is a tool of the enemy used to drive us apart. We just got to see it. We got to be smarter than this. We have an enemy. And when we see injustice against anyone, it feels like the enemy is gaining ground. When someone's arrested and they're killed without due process or afforded human dignity, when someone's going for a jog and they're killed, it, it doesn't matter if you robbed a bank. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. 
When protesters and shopkeepers or officers of the law are needlessly abused and disrespected or killed, when people feel disregarded and unheard and passed over, when we're deeply divided and my skin tone causes suspicion in you and your skin color causes suspicion in me, that, that's when it, it feels like the enemy is winning. So First Peter says, you got to be smarter than that. Stay alert. Watch out. We've got an enemy. He's called the devil, and he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And we, we've got this enemy, and it's not each other. We're being played, y'all. He smears bait on us, and we devour each other, and he slinks away laughing at the whole thing. God has a plan, and that is not it. Jesus says it looks like people who are called by his name, who look like him, and are shaped in a Jesus community, who will humble themselves to allow the Spirit of God to change us so we will not react the way that our skin color, our culture, and this world tells us to act, not by the change from the color of our skin, but from the change in the quality of our hearts because we know Jesus. We can't legislate our way out of this. Laws don't change hearts. It's only the Spirit of Christ that will help us behave, react differently. And when I see our worship nights, like we had the other night, people from all races and ages and ethnicities and backgrounds gathered not to fight or shout, but to sing and pray and make a statement about our unity, standing side by side, six feet apart, but side by side in this closely knit spirit of truth. When I see friends reach out and listen to one another, when I see a mom taking her black son downtown to clean up after a night of destruction, when I see people peacefully marching arm in arm with police officers, penetrating the cynicism and the rules that say we're supposed to hate each other. When I see white people listen and ask for perspective, when I see people of color patiently drudge up hurt and pain and incidents to help others understand what it's like to experience what they experience all the time. When I see small groups at this church intentionally invite people who don't look like them to be together, to study the word and do life together and to demonstrate a new way of living, when we come together, not in guilt or anger or revenge, but in sorrow and a love that leads to godly repentance because I love you and I love the Lord and I want to serve the world with you, and we realize we're put together in the same family and a signpost to the watching world, that's when God's dream comes true. Are you a part of that? When I see that, I know God's still in control. He's still working his plan. Are you breaking God's heart or are you working God's plan? The world, the world says, take your stand, don't budge, don't move. You stand over there, I'll stand over here. We'll divide up by color or class or culture. It's time for us to stop standing apart and declare, you know, it's not you over there and me over here, but to stand, we stand together with Christ. That's God's dream that God's people would come together and stand side by side with Christ. And then together we stand against injustice, racism, anarchy, anyone's loss of life. I heard about something that took place right after all the ugliness of slavery was officially outlawed, but the Jim Crow laws were still in effect throughout the South. There was this African-American man who had fallen on hard times. He had no food, but he heard of a wealthy white family who were said to be Christians and who might be sympathetic to his plight. So he went to that house and he walked up to the front steps of the porch and knocked on the door and this woman answered. And when she saw him, she glanced kind of quickly to the neighbor's house on the right and the left. And she said, hey, uh, 
meet me on the back porch and abruptly closed the door. And the man went around to the back, to the secluded uh, back of the house. And the woman came out back and she had a nice basket of bread and something to drink. And before they ate, she said, you know, we should thank God for our food. And with that, the white woman began to pray. Shall we just pray together at our church? We just do it like repeat after me. And she says, okay. So she says, our father who art in heaven. And the black man respectfully began to pray. And he said, your father who art in heaven. And she stopped and says, no, no, no. Just repeat after me, our Father who art in heaven. And again, he prayed, your Father who art in heaven. And she was kind of exasperated. She stopped and says, why do you insist on saying your Father? And the man quietly replied, he says, well, if he was our Father, that would make us brother and sister. And if we were brother and sister, you wouldn't have made me come around to your back door. It feels like it's time for all of us to meet on the front porch, together, in Jesus' name, and say we're one in Christ and we need to do all we can to live in a way to bring the change and the justice and the hope and the love that the world so badly needs injected. I'm hoping God pricks hearts today. I don't know where today finds you, but I know that God wants to plant his dream in you in such a way that you'll be motivated to love God and love people and serve the world to make his dream come about so it'll be happening through your life on earth as it is in heaven. And I know God is speaking to us to heal and help our hurts and to bring us together and to break down our defenses, to bring order and peace and safety to our village. I'm so convinced that listening is important, that when everybody was kind of rising up this week and protest and anger and rising up. I felt like it was time to just sit down. I heard someone say, in order to take a stand, sometimes you have to take a seat. To sit with one another and to really understand as best you can. And so I've been trying to do that. And I want to share a part of one of those conversations with you right now. I had it this week with my friend David Anderson, pastor of Bridgeway Community Church in Columbia, Maryland. We pulled some excerpts from that conversation in hopes that God would use it to lead us and guide us and help us and heal us. Join the conversation with David Anderson. Man, I just want to say, David, our relationship has meant so much uh, to me over the years. It was over a, de- you know what, it was a decade ago. Um, God had convicted me about so many issues regarding race and about um, that it wasn't a political issue, that it wasn't a social issue only. It was a biblical issue. And I started grabbing parts of the Bible I'd never seen before. I started grabbing books and I read this awesome book and I get to the end. I'm like, I got to talk to this dude. He says everything I think is so right on this. And I looked in the back and there's a picture of this handsome looking black dude. And it turns <laughs> out he lives in Columbia, Maryland. I called you up and I said, I don't know I you, you don't know me, but I think we're supposed to be friends. Could we get together? And you just graciously showed hospitality and welcome to me. And that was the beginning of a friendship that's been budding. And we've been since then all over. We've been all, we've, we've planted churches uh, together uh, in other countries. We've, we've traveled together. We have worked on very touchy, sensitive issues in Miami and New York City and some other places. We've shared each other's pulpits, and we have um, tried to say, man, uh, we're joined at the hip in terms of the work you're leading, this amazing church, Bridgeway Community Church down the road from us, building this thriving, multi-ethnic, multi-site church uh, down the road. All the books you've written, the radio show you're doing, man, you are a world-changer and a renowned leader and a bridge builder that 
everyone turns to at a time like this. So to have you on my speed dial and have you be able to say, Ben, man, let's sit down and talk brother to brother right now in a time when I honestly think just the reflection of your black skin and my white skin on this Zoom screen is ministering to the soul of someone in this moment. And our relationship, we just want to help be one small part of a model of um, what the church is meant to look like. David, just thank you. And I love you, man. And I hate what's going on. I'm so thankful for your help and guidance and leadership in this. Welcome. Glad you're here. Well, Pastor Ben Kacharis, thanks for, uh, for reaching out. Thank you for your friendship. The reality is, as I said in one of my books, that the black man and the white man are the bookends on the shelf. And uh, the books in between are the other cultures, Asian, Hispanic, Arab, all in the middle. And if you could get the black man and the white man in America to come together, it'll bring everyone else together. And there's a lot of wisdom in the middle books, but make no bones about it. The black male and the white male are the extreme bookends in American culture. And inside that is the black woman and the white woman and so on. So when people do see us, uh, you know, they're really seeing the polar opposites of everything that's happening in the streets of our of our country today and a big hearty uh amen and hello and hallelujah and all that good stuff to uh your family and to the mountain family it's always a joy when i get to hang out with mountain folk up there uh on the northern side of baltimore we're down here on the southern side and and uh it's just good to connect uh with you uh, let me also just say by way of introduction brother um I said yes, because it's you. And that tells you how important relationships are. And that's what's been the problem in the country. And that is uh, white folk want to talk when it's hot. And then they don't want to talk when it's not. And so the reason why I've said no uh, to so many interviews uh, is because I don't hear from those folk until things get hot. You know, what people want is authentic relationships that help us deal with the systemic issues that hurt people that look like me, that offend people that look like you and everyone in between. And then we walk together to figure out, so how can we not step on each other's toes while we're hugging to do the great work of God on the earth? So I said yes to you because that relationship's there. I heard somebody say that denial and despair are both deadly in this. So the one part of denial, like there's no problem here. There's no problem here. No, that's deadly. Okay. Like I'm fine. I haven't experienced what you're talking about. So it must not be real. All that denial is, is, uh, is deadly and can be somewhat addressed through relationship and listening. Yeah. Like coming into distance with people, but, but the despair piece is what I feel is like right on the hub with so many people, not just people of color, lots of people right now. Like, is it any use since I can't do everything? Can I do anything? How do we square that up as people of the gospel of whatever skin color, when we're tempted to feel like I've seen this before, nothing's going to change. What's the use? It's going to depend on who you are and who you identify with, but uh, we all have emotional spaces and we all have emotional feelings. Uh, and that's where the despair can be in the emotions. If you're a believer, though, you also have spiritual spaces. And those spiritual spaces is where you draw your strength to help you deal with the emotions. So, of course, the despair or the 
the frustration or the sense of what I hear many of my blacks and whites and others say, and that is this feeling of being numb. Like I, I just, I can't even feel anymore. Uh, it's the spiritual spaces that help us. Uh, Psalms 46.1 says, you know, God is my refuge and my strength, a very present help in trouble. Uh, it says in that same chapter, when you skip down to verse 10, in the midst of all the turmoil, it says, be still and know that I am God. And so it's there that God ministers to us. The word of God is life. And so we, we need that life breathed uh, into us. You know, uh, George Floyd, Eric Garner said, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Yet God's word is God breathed. And, you know, that, that breath of God uh, breathes into our living souls. And so it can push out depression, despair, and, and, and darkness. And so I think that the spiritual spaces have to be places where the word of God, the worship of God, like the great worship you have at Mountain and, and we have at Bridgeway, uh, and then the word of God when it is preached with power and anointing, as well as practicality and relevance, uh, is what breathes life. Yes. Uh, into us where we are emotionally distraught. And so we're both angry, same event, but because of our differences, I'm enraged over something completely different than you're enraged over. And so our emotions might be the same, but they're different. And the only way we get those emotions to come in alignment is when the spiritual space ministers to the emotional space to help me find the forgiveness the power, the comfort, so that I can sit next to you, stand next to you and say, you know what, regardless of that incident, you're my brother, I'm your brother. And if you're in pain, I'm in pain. Help me to understand because comprehension begins with conversation and I'm ready to connect and converse with you. I wasn't before, but the spiritual space entered into my emotional space and changed me. I, I believe it, it, it is a statement, a kingdom statement to be able to worship side by side with people who look different than you and to subjugate some of those things that make me angry, my neighbor angry and say, I'm going to, out of re mutual submission to one another, I'm going to allow myself to have that conversation to understand, oh my goodness, I should be concerned about that because you are. Yeah, multicultural, multi-ethnic community in Christ is the greatest vaccine against the pandemic of racism known to man. God knew that from the very beginning of time, if people were to be united like he created us to be in the garden, and that he will one day take us to in the book of Revelation, the answer to prayer right now is as it is in heaven, so shall it be on the earth. And so we make that prayer happen on the earth when we come together and then the spirit of God unites our hearts. So even if we look at the same event differently because of the spiritual space, I'm still willing to be open enough to hear why you feel the way you feel. Well, see, when we're in relationship, we get to hear each other's perspective. And then what we want to do is engage that perspective toward racial healing so that uh, we can agree that even if, we don't, even if we don't see things the same way, we see each other the same way. 
And that's a big difference. I might not see things the same way you see things, but I need to see you the same way and you see me the same way. And that's as, as brothers in the Lord. And I think we lose that because we lose perspective. Right now, there's a lot of people that are like, I, I, I want to be part of that. Give us something practical that will help us know what we can do, how we should think in the next little while here, so that this is more than a, that it truly is an inflection point for individuals that get beyond the sort of sorrow, white guilt, or um, black anger, whatever you might want to say, to something substantive. When you talk about building a bridge, you're not talking about something surface level. You're talking about a real bridge. Talk to us a little bit about that and what's on your heart as you, as you counsel. You're, you're a leader, you're a pastor, and you're wise, so you better dish something good right now because we got a lot of people saying, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> what's the answer? I can give you five things to do. One of the things that people can do, and I'll give you five, but here's one. Serve or donate to a reputable organization that's committed to overturning and uprooting racism. What do we do on the ground to try to make a difference? Well, you'll remember, I know you know this, Ben, but when there was uprisings, when there were uprisings in Ferguson, we were there. In Baltimore, we were there. In South Africa, we were there. In Kenya, we were there. And so Bridge Leader Network, that's what we do. All right. And people can go to embracegracism.com and donate if they want to do that. But there are other organizations. Uh, find the one that you feel best about and say, you know what, I want to serve. I want to volunteer. But let me give you a couple other ways. Uh, speak to your own racial group to help them process their perspectives and pain in a way that will help them move toward gracism. Let me say it again. Speak to your own racial group to help them process their perspectives and pain in a way that will help move them toward gracism. So blacks need to talk to blacks. Whites need to talk to whites. Uh, Asians need to talk to Asians. Hispanics need to talk to Hispanics. Uh, uh, something else you can do, and that is speak up in support of African-Americans who are hit the hardest by two pandemics. You know, many other people are dealing with one pandemic, we're dealing with two. And that is that we're losing the most lives when it comes to the coronavirus uh, being front uh, line healthcare workers and, and very low paid folk who don't have the privilege of not having the work without a living wage. So there's that. And then we're dealing with the pandemic of systemic uh, racism and these things happening within a couple of weeks of each other. So that's one. Really speak up and support like you have, uh, my brother, uh, for those that are African-Americans. Here's another one. Stay in relationships with others who are different than you across racial lines. Do not revert to, <laughs> to racial isolation. And I'm speaking to my Black brothers and sisters right here. Yo, I know what it feels like to be among other folk that aren't black who are asking you, help me understand, and you're tired of it. I hear you. And I know that sometimes, like, can I just go back to the black church to have my wounds licked? I get you. I got you. I've been doing multicultural ministry for 30 years. You go do that and come back and talk to me. It's frustrating. It's exhausting but don't do it because your calling is greater 
You're a missionary and you've got to be with other people besides the black church. And I love the black church. It has a purpose, but you're birthed out of that. You don't go back to that and, and revert to the isolation of your kind because you know that it's comfortable there. Look, you can go back as a hospital, but you don't live in the hospital. Come back out and get back into multicultural ministry. So there you have it. Let me give you one last thing, and I think this makes the five, and that is this, sensibly protest. Do not riot, do not loot, do not break the law, but sensibly protest. It's okay to do it, but do it sensibly. I have a couple of my white uh, pastors and leaders ask me, uh, hey, in Columbia, Maryland, they're doing a protest at four o'clock today. Can I, can I go? I'm like, sure, you can go. To, we're going to wear our Grace's shirt. I said, you can go, but listen, don't loot and don't break any laws. To which, you know, these are 50-year-old white men. They're like, oh, man, shoot. <laughs> this is going to be my opportunity. No, don't do it. So it doesn't matter what color you are. The, the reality is, uh, in your anger, do not sin. And it didn't say, except that there's injustice systematically. No. In your anger, do not sin. And that means you, you, you can't burn stuff up. So there you have it, Ben. <laughs> and I thank you. I thank you for your, um, your wisdom, your grace, the way that you're filled with the spirit, the gracism that oozes out of you that builds bridges, the way you built a bridge to me and to our church and to countless others. Um, thank you. And um, I stand with you and for you um, as your brother guided by you, but also um, leading on behalf of the same things that you've given your life to. And um, I appreciate you, brother, and, and uh, we thank you for your voice. Pray for the Mountain family that we'll do our part to look like a Jesus-shaped community, because I believe that's what the world needs right now, a different kind of demonstration.